welcome along. It's the gardening programme here on Midwest Radio on uh, the last Saturday, believe it or not, of the month of October. Pori Corkin, good morning good to morning. you. Good morning. Good morning, Deirdre. Um, just before we start out, I just want to reiterate, uh, as we had mentioned there before nine, we're having a little technical difficulty with our text service this morning. So apologies in advance on that front. Uh, but our phone lines, I'm happy to say, are working perfectly well. So if people do have a question uh, on the programme this morning or for the programme, and specifically for Boric, it's 0818 uh, or you can indeed email us either garden at midwestradio.ie. How are you this I'm morning? Good. I thought I was going to get an easy morning there, no questions. Yeah, uh, no, not quite, we no, just I'm chat afraid. Away. No. <laughs> chat away over the day. Um, not, not, not quite, I suspect. I knew that uh, with things were a bit too quiet. I thought well, perhaps it was the bank holiday weekend for a while and people were having a little lion, but and I said, no, nah, it can't be quite that quiet now. Anyway, we are uh, going to talk about questions and lots of things in a little bit. But first of all, you've come in with um, one of my favourite products, I have to say, which is honey. Yeah, I know what... (laughs) (laughs) You know, there's nearly no need for me to get paid to do this programme. Yeah, I love honey. And it would be out of the sweet things, uh, like jam or marmalades or anything like that, it is way and far my favourite. And it's such a natural product Mm. as well. And I suppose a lot of beekeepers are, are saving their honey at this time of year and have been over the last couple of months. But in particular, we have the Westport Beekeepers Association. They're going to be in Turlock in the Garden Centre in Turlock today and tomorrow as part of a, a wildlife focus that we're doing. So we're, we have a number of talks on uh, today, Saturday Excellent. at three o'clock, just advising people about wildlife in the garden because we're coming into that time of year where the garden birds, the songbirds will need some support in terms of feeding and, and looking after. Um, we had some questions, I think, during the uh, last couple of weeks about hedgehogs. And we did, yes, indeed. So we decided to do a wildlife focus. Excellent. And as part of that, the uh, the team, Dermot and the team from Westport uh, Beekeepers Club have co- have decided to come to Turlock and Castle Bar. And they're going to bring along some of their beehives without the bees, of course. And they're going to bring along a lot of information, a lot of advice. But in particular, they're going to bring along some honey. Yummy. This year's crop of honey. And in particular, when you when you know you and I were just chatting earlier about mm. honey, and uh, because again I love honey as well, and and you know this time of year where porridge is coming back on the menu, and people love to to uh, you know dress porridge up with with honey. A little bit honey, yeah. Yeah, um, there's such a wide variety of different honey available, but in particular, I would advise people to to consider the local producers because not only is it fantastic honey, but it's also full of the pollen and nectar of the native plants that the bees have been foraging on over the, the summer period because the bee, the workers forage within a three mile radius of the hive. So oh, they're collecting... Okay. Yeah, they don't they go any further, they don't than, go any further than that. Okay, their <laughs> little radar kicks in yeah, and they... Yeah, they stay very much... In the, well, you can imagine three miles... Well, for, it is, yeah. <laughs> if I was to do a three mile radius every day for it, I'll tell you. There you go. It would, I would, it, would, it would stand to me. <laughs> so the bees forage within within a three mile radius of the hive and so they're, they're collecting very much the, the local pollen mm. and and nectar. So for listeners that might have allergies to pollen, particularly hay fever, it's a great way of build, building up your own immune system to take honey over the winter season because you're 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 ingesting basically the pollen and the oh, nectar from that season. From from that season the bees have converted into into honey and uh, into sugars and um the the local honey particularly the Westport honey contains all the 
native flora and fauna that we find the gorse and the fuchsia and the heathers and all the popular uh, native plants that people might have uh, an aversion to pollen during the summer period. So it's a great way to build up resistance. And the other side of that of course as well is that kind of honey kind of can infuse a little bit of um, the flavour if you like of the plant where the pollen is taken from because you know you cure of lavender honey and then you have orange blossom honey and all these million and one different kinds of honeys Um, but it's so it'll it'll be that little bit distinctive as well for people who maybe have a, a, a good strong palate oh, yeah, absolutely. and are able to take that. The, the, I mean, take heather honey is a very, it's like treacle, it's a very dark coloured honey, a very, very rich, um, which is completely different to say rapeseed oil or heather or, or uh, say um, honey from lime trees or so, you know, but, but what we tend to find in the west of Ireland, because we such a great diversity of plants, mm. you get a great diversity of pollen contained within the honey whereas up the country where you've got say rapeseed oil acres and acres of rapeseed oil then the bees will only forage on that particular plant and you just get the one type of pollen or nectar within that honey so you know in Westport for example or in Mayo the honey tends to be a whole variety of different so they'll feed on the fuchsia they'll feed on the gorse they'll feed on the wild heather all at the same time Uh, you know so you're getting a whole variety of different pollen and nectars coming in back into the hive at the one time. So it tends to be a better honey, particularly for people that might suffer from um, allergies to pollen and particularly hay fever. It's a great way of building up an immune system and, and a lovely product anyway to eat. Absolutely. And also, whatever about the, benef- the, the, med- the medical beneficial aspect of it, uh, it also tastes very good. Do you want to taste a bit? I brought in a couple oh, of spoons. Oh, brought in a couple of spoons. I brought in the spoons. spoons. I'll have to have there a little taste. Well, we, have, yeah, we, we actually have a couple of different kinds of honey. And I suppose the other thing, Porrick, is, you know, it is so great to have something that is a local product because I know commercial honey is, you know, needs to be produced so we can feed lots of people. But you'll notice sometimes on the very commercial uh, products that, you know, you're not quite sure where it's from. It might yeah. just be EU. So it's kind of coming from blends from different countries. And that's the trouble. And, yeah. and you know, a lot of the well-known, uh, supposedly Irish honey uh, labels, when you actually look at the ingredients, they're a mixture of EU mm. honey that's been uh, you know, sourced and, and kind of mixed together. So you're not really getting... Look, I would always advise to look for... That's, that's Irish fabulous. honey now. That's fabulous Pure honey. Irish honey that mm. you're eating there. Now I'm going to be all... Try this one. This La- is one I thought that would be would suit you. This it's one called... It's uh, Honey <laughs> with Irish Cream Liqueur. Oh. <laughs> It's a bit early in the morning for that. So the cream liqueur has been added to it, but Thanks it's a, a it actually makes lovely honey as well. Okay, it's so this lovely is kind taste. of a creamier looking honey. It is. Yes, it almost looks like dessert, to be honest. I'd be and like, it tastes, it, it tastes fantastic as well. Mmm, mmm. Lovely, isn't it? Actually, you can taste the Irish cream liqueur in it. <laughs> you can, you can in that one. But look, there's a great variety of honeys available. That's I suppose my advice is to look in particular for uh, the honey that's produced here in Mayo. Mm. And if you've got the opportunity to pop down to the garden centre in Turlock today, Henry and Dermot and, and all the team from um, Westport will be there. They'll have the hives there. They'll talk to people about people that are interested in getting into beekeeping. And advising people on on you know how to start, it's a very it's a it's a very simple but very enjoyable uh, hobby, and of course you get the great benefit of the honey at the end of the year. Absolutely, and the, like, the third one we have there, the comb is actually in it. The comb, and that you can do that, and that that becomes very popular as well. Mm. I know the 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 guys in Westport had a number of classes this year teaching people how to make uh, comb honey, where you can actually you know produce the little uh, segments within the hive. 
you often see them for sale in in um, in greengrocers with the with the actual comb and the honey surrounding. Yes. And and the bees will actually, if you put in the proper frames, will produce honey in that format right. that you can actually take them out as as what we call sections. So you've got the wax and, and the, the honey, honey all contained. Some people don't like that. Some people do. Yeah. You know, they eat the wax and all. But look, there's such a variety available. I suppose really if you're interested in beekeeping or particularly if you just want to get yourself a couple of jars of really good local honey, honey. it's going to be available in the garden centre in Turlock today from 11 o'clock through till 5 and tomorrow from from 12 o'clock through to 5 again uh, in Turlock and Castlebar. And just on because I, I know you keep things yourself, on, on the beef front, if you were interested maybe in having your own hive is there a particular time of the year one starts to uh, put that in place? I mean, I, or like I mean, are bees going to go to sleep for the winter yes. now, for example? They're, they're, they're beginning to, well funny, again, th- this... Uh, Oh, I see a few They're very busy. Too, yeah. This week I was, I was looking at some ivy and, and the bees were feeding off the ivy. Um, it was so mild. Um, you know, normally they're, they're going to sleep at this time of year. They start to, uh, some of the workers start to die off and mm. the, the nucleus of bees starts to reduce greatly down um, to, to the queen and just, you know, several hundred of the, of the worker bees. Um, but but it, because of the mild weather, weather, they've been actively working. But it's, it's a good time to get into bees simply because a lot of the bee clubs become very active through the winter period. They give a lot of courses, a lot of teaching goes on over the winter period, preparing for the spring. There's also quite, I was going to say quite a bit of work. There's a bit work to be done with the bees over the winter in terms of feeding them. We feed them a sugary syrup to keep them going through the winter period after extracting all the honey from them or robbing the, 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 their food source right. and that's got to be put put back by some oh, um, that makes sense. fondant or some uh, sugary syrup to feed the keep the, the, the bees alive for the winter period. But it's a great time to get into, into bees because and joining a local club is really that's the way to start. That's okay. this, and there are beekeeper clubs all over the country, all presumably. Over. There's a huge, huge response. I know uh, yeah, I know there's a very big one in Westport. Westport, have, I think Dermot was saying to me, over 100, 130 mm. members, I think, of the last count, which is absolutely mad. I think it's the fourth biggest in the country. But they, they're particularly good. They're particularly knowledgeable and very active and bring a lot of speakers in from all over the country to, to talk to the members. So it's a very active club and we're delighted to have them in, in Turlock today. So look, at if you're interested in chatting about bees, drop down to the garden centre today or if you just want to pick up a couple of jars of honey of Irish local uh, Westport produced honey uh, particularly for listeners that might have children with hay fever uh, or or any sort of allergies to pollen or nectar my advice is to try that over the winter period Okay. Build up the immune system. But honey is great anyway. A it spoon is, of honey yeah. a day is fantastic yeah. for colds and for just keeping and the body. And it gives you a little bit of a sugar hit as well, Doesn't you it? know, if you're, <laughs> yeah, if you're yeah. trying to be good and avoid that's sugar true. in other ways. Um, okay, well, that's that's the beekeepers. And for anyone who is interested in uh, going along over the weekend, I think there'll be lots of information and lots of interest uh, in that. We're going to take a quick break. Um, I know we've questions coming. As we said, uh, the questions really, please do send them to us via a phone this morning on 0818 or by email uh, garden at midwestradio.ie uh, I think we're going to talk a little bit about planting after the break and then we're going to come to your questions. Stay with us. Now you're very welcome back. It's the gardening programme here on Midwest Radio on this Saturday morning. Uh, the phone for questions, it's 0818 uh, 3055. Um, it is a bank holiday weekend, Porrick. So, we're, you know, people will probably be maybe even looking at it in terms of 
final wrap up maybe for kind of winter I know we're not because the weather has kind of not lent itself to that as yet mm. at this time of year but um, you can definitely see over the last week and I noticed myself coming in this morning it was a breezy night last night there's quite a few leaves starting yeah. to come down now bits of branches and stuff like that beginning to fall. so I suppose really it is starting to think about let's tidy it up well, it is yeah and, and this weekend will be a great a great weekend to actually kind of tidy up the garden and you're dead right many of the deciduous trees are beginning to drop their leaves you know there's probably 50-60% of of, of leaf fall occurring now and, and over the next number of weeks so it is a great time to start tidying up the garden many of the, the bedding plants are going out of flower now uh, people would have harvested their tomatoes at this stage there might be a few dregs still there but I mean you are slipping into that time of year and certainly as we go into November the night frosts are going to be a lot more severe mm. and that's going to kill back a lot of growth and stop growth in its tracks so it's, it is a good time this weekend would be a great time to actually just start putting the garden to bed tidying it up I think last week we had a great question in about compost making Yes we did indeed <clears throat> So all that leaf litter and all that, you know, if you're, if you're taking, uh, tidying up the garden, giving it the grass's kind of final couple of trims, if you're collecting leaf litter and, and in general, it's a great time of year to start tidying up the garden, but more importantly, using that material as well to create a, a compost heap, say, for next year would be a great thing to do over this weekend. Um, lawn care. You know, again, if you think about it, right through the the summer, the spring and summer and autumn period, lawns are, are always a very popular question. And in particular, in the autumn at this time of year, it's a good time to reseed areas if areas are damaged. The seed will germinate very well. It's also the time to take control of moss because moss with the moist weather is going to start continue to spread. So using something like the Osmo moss remover now will prevent moss for the winter period. Certainly reseeding areas, as I mentioned, is a good time to, to thing to do. The planting too of as we come into autumn mm. it, it, you swing into the planting time so at the moment bulbs are of course very much in vogue The uh, I think again we had a question last week about putting bulbs inside things like the lovely hyacinths and the paper whites but bulbs in general like tulips and narcissi uh, snowdrops bluebells they should all be planted now and get them finished because the ground is actually even with the bit of rain we've had um, it's still it's not too wet it's still workable and it's certainly for planting it's really good planting conditions putting in new hedges this is the time of year for actually planting hedges and we very quickly start coming into the bare root season which is the time of year where hedging plants and trees and shrubs in general are offered uh, without pots with bare roots it's a cheap time to buy them but a great time to plant them as well so if you've got an area in the garden that you've got to put in a large hedge or a lot of trees then coming into the late autumn late October November period is the time to actually start um, planting bare root plants I actually brought in a Yes, you brought, you brought in some cuttings and you brought in, um, um, I th- and I, th- I think they're all laurels, got a home right when I say that. Um, but you've also brought in one that was done, how, yeah. many, how long ago when, well, you, when you did the we, one in the pot? We were talking about cuttings mm. you know, over the last couple of weeks and, and this is the time of year. And I just said, right, we'll bring, we'd, this was a, a cutting that was taken in August to late August. Okay. So it's, it's about so, six weeks in the pot at this stage. And it's just a simple plant of laurel. Um, and the, this is a great time. You take cuttings, young cuttings, that young wood that was produced this year on plants that's the sort of material you're looking for um, something that's no more than about the cutting there is about six inches long yep. and all you simply do is take off some of the lower leaves right. and as you can see from the cutting that has rooted mm-hmm. we, we sliced the top of the, the leaf, top of leaf just, and that just reduces down the loss of water Oh. Um, so it stops the cutting from drying out before it gets an opportunity yeah. to root. So you simply just slice the leaf in half um, and that 
just the pork is just using a secretary to do that. Just to cut it, <laughs> to cut it down, cut down the leaf's surface. And all you do to that then is put a little bit of rooting powder on the base. On the base. You can either take a, a heel like this here, yeah. or you can cut the stem at a node. Simply put it, even a small pot like that, and that's only a three inch pot, you could put four or five cuttings into that and they'll root over a six or seven week period. So it's a good time of year for taking cuttings yeah. in general. Because you can even see there, uh, and now I know this is radio and people are listening to us describe this rather than actually seeing it physically, but even above the soil, Porik, you can see th that it's just got two little nodes coming on, two new leaf shoots there, yeah. just uh, here at the node itself. Exactly. Yeah, and that's so and they, would they, they have come on as a result of the potting or would they have been there before you put that well, in? Well, they're there, they're there at the leaf axle where yeah. the stem joins the leaf. The little bud is there and that's going to, that's going to Shoot uh, out. initiate the new growth. Yeah. So you'll have one from here, two. You'll have three very three. strong shoots on that plant. Now, the, the buds are beginning to swell at the moment, but they really won't kick into growth until March of next year. But that little cutting, because it's rooted already, will put on certainly a foot, maybe 15 inches of growth over the over the the spring and summer of next year, so I suppose the point is it's a good time for taking cuttings in general in the garden. They were taken in, in August. You can certainly take them over the next four or five week blackcurrant cuttings, gooseberries, uh, laurels, hedging in general, uh, fuchsia in the garden, hypericum, hydrangeas, all of those plants. Very very, it's a great time of year. But do remember to get yourself a little tub of rooting powder. That's um, doff hormone rooting powder. A tub like that, a small little tub like that, will do about 500 cuttings. Yeah, so you'll have it for years. And my advice, it's like talcing powder. Don't stick the cutting directly into the container. All right. Because you'll end up with, a, with the moisture from the cutting, it'll end up like a sludge after... I, I already, already, I'm aware of a mistake I've made myself. Right. Yeah. So, tip so what do we do? Well, all you do is get a, a little bit of paper and yeah. tip some of the powder out onto the paper. So you're just using that small quantity and you discard it after you finish taking your cuttings, just throw that little bit yeah. away. It just keeps the container and the powder within nice and dry because once the, if you're dipping cuttings directly into it, it becomes very moist and it'll end up um, unusable. Right. So very cheap to buy. A small tin will do you hundreds of cuttings. So it's a great way to get plants and it's an interesting it's interesting it's, to see. Well, it's a great sense of achievement when you see something growing that from you planted yourself from shoot. something like yeah. that. Um, and I think, uh, just to reiterate, the, the, the actual cutting of the leaf yes. that are on the on the on, on the on the piece that you're going to, um, to the cutting that you're using. Yeah. Uh, that's very interesting. I I haven't really seen that before. One would have thought that maybe you were going to, you were damaged the, no, the, no, no, the cutting no. by doing that. So no, you're no. actually sending the growth, if you like, down to the roots rather than allowing it to go out. Yeah, uh, from it's, the leaves. What, is, what you're simply doing is just reducing the leaf surface, mm. particularly for evergreens like yeah. laurels, rhododendrons, anything that retains its leaf in the winter. By cutting back the leaf by 50%, you're just stopping the loss of water so the, the, the stem won't dry out before it gets an opportunity to root. Now, if it's a deciduous plant like a hydrangea, yeah. you can strip off all of the leaves, take them off entirely. completely, so entirely. Just, have the just the naked stem right. with the little buds coming off it. If there are any flowers on them, make sure you remove the flowers. So a rose cutting, yeah. take all the leaves off it and take off any flower buds and take the cuttings with roses about a foot long, about pencil thickness, cut them at a node, put them into the rooting powder, stick them into a pot like I've shown you there and you've got yourself some lovely plants for by, by December they'll start to root by certainly January and then you can plant them out of doors from there on. And in terms of the compost then that's in the uh, little container that it's you're putting a, it into? It's a mixture of regular compost and perlite which is a very light material or sand if you've got gritty sand at home. 50-50 so you want a very free draining compost that's, that's effectively, it doesn't need any nutrition 
because all it's doing is rooting. Right. So regular compost with 50% regular compost, 50% sand or perlite mixed up, nice gritty mixture and the cuttings will root no problem whatsoever. We, and normally, a, bit of, a bit of water. Oh yeah, the compost should be moist yeah. as you'll see it there. It's quite, it's moist yes. but it's not, it's not it's dripping. Not, yeah. And cover them with a polythene bag, something like a butcher's white milky bag cover that over that just again helps to stop them drying out as well but well worth it and and a lot of cuttings like hardwood cuttings like say blackcurrants or gooseberries mm. or even roses you can actually put them outside you don't have to put them in pots they can be literally put out into the garden soil but again put the compost and sand down through it so that's something that could be done um, but really you're dead right I mean it's really the tidying up um, bedding plants are going to be going over now window boxes hanging baskets yeah. they're, they're although really some people are still out and we were commenting on this in our own house uh, during the week well not mine but in my mother's which is the much better garden than mine and like because when I went out the other day there was this fantastic gladioli uh, up and still uh, still, still ready, ready to come out and flower my God, that's, yeah. that's very late and, for gladioli yeah and there were some dahlias and, oh yeah dahlias uh, are lovely and what else was out because I had to comment oh nerines were oh the nerines yeah, 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 yeah they're beautiful at the moment yeah. and well, they're, well they would be associated with autumn, yeah. autumn right. flowering yeah nice bit but, of colour but the dahlias are still blooming yeah. really well and anything that's still flowering leave well enough alone allow the dahlias until we get the heavy frost don't start lifting them until until they actually start to go back and that'll be the first or second night of, of heavy frost uh, but but if you've got summer bedding your marigolds or your your busy or whatever if they're going over don't leave them for another week. Take them out now while the ground is still workable and you can put in some autumn and winter bedding like winter pansies, wallflowers, sweet williams which will flower in spring of next year. Some will flower this winter like the winter violas, winter pansies. Uh, the primulas are coming into flower at the moment just if you want a bit of colour say in pots or containers that are, have, have gone over at this stage. Um, so that's, that's something that can be done and autumn then is also associated with fruit. Yes. Fruit planting. So pruning of fruit um, so the pruning back of, again, as the leaves start to fall off plants, pruning back of apples, pears, um, blackcurrants, gooseberries, all of those can be tidied back at this time of year and pruned back. And by pruning, you can also then propagate any of the, the slips that you take off them if you wish. But it's also a very good time for planting. The planting of, of apple trees, pears, plums, blueberries, strawberries, rhubarb, this is the time of year, if you're interested in putting fruit in the garden, to, to get some plants and get them into the ground. They'll root over the winter period and they'll be there then very strong, strongly rooted going into the spring of next year. So we always associate fruit both from a pruning aspect but also from a... Um, from a pruning aspect but also from a planting aspect yes. at this time of year. It's a good time to put fruit back into the garden. If you've got tomatoes that are just beginning to still have a bit of fruit on them. Mm. My advice is to is to take them out of the greenhouse now and hang them upside down and bring them into a warmer climate, somewhere like a, maybe a, a spare garage, somewhere a little bit warm, warmer. If you hang, hang the vine upside down with the fruit still attached, they'll ripen within a two or three week period. So you'll kind of accelerate the ripening of the fruit. So there's still a lot of that kind of hanging around and, and we're coming to the end of that. So again, start to take... And if you do even take the, the green tomatoes, you can ripen them by putting them into okay. a, a paper bag and putting them into the cupboard. Um, climbing roses will be the other thing that at this time of year, it's uh, late October, early November, climbing roses in particular should be pruned back. So again, you're shortening back the, the long stems and shortening back the side shoots as well. Um, 
So it's a good time to do that. And herbs, if you've got herbs in the garden, take some of them now and dry them. So if you've got uh, thyme or sage... Good or, idea. Yeah, yeah. just to, to cut some of the stems now. Uh, wrap a bit of uh, rubber band or a piece of string around the, the base of the stems and mm-hmm. hang them upside down in the garage or maybe in the larder or somewhere, somewhere dry, somewhere warm. And they'll just they'll dry. They, slowly they'll dry. The essential oils will be kept in the herbs and then you can use them as dried herbs through the winter, winter. And, and spring period or else freeze them. Or freeze them. Yeah, because they've been growing really well. I was looking at parsley this yeah. morning, actually, oh, and, yeah, and this huge amount of growth on, on herbs. So things like sage, thyme, uh, rosemary, all of those have mm. been growing very strongly over the last couple of weeks. So take them now because, again, once we get into the frosty weather, they'll start to go back and, and you'll have less cuttings. Or if you have them in pots or containers, if you're lucky to have a greenhouse or a tunnel, move them in there for the winter and they'll continue to grow during the winter period. So it's that type of work that people should be at. It's really a kind of a tidy up time of the year on one side. Propagating plants certainly from cuttings can still be done but also a planting time of year in particular bulbs, roses, fruit trees, uh, trees in general, hedging plants. We're coming into that time to start planting. Great. Okay, let's uh, have a shot at a few questions for Rick. And again, as you said, text number not functioning. Apologies this morning, uh, but our phone lines most certainly are. So it's 0818-3055 if you have a question for us. We're going to start uh, on the questions front with hydrangeas. A listener would like to know um, their hydrangeas have not bloomed uh, this year at all. They're wondering, would they need a feed, Porrick? Well... If I got a penny for every time we, we answered a hydrangea question, it was, it must be one of the most popular plants in gardens. Yeah. Uh, well, but I suppose because they're big and they cover They're big, big and they're blousy and, yeah. and they're fantastic yeah. and they're so easy to grow. Um, and this is typical of hydrangeas. Uh, hydrangeas not flowering can be for a number of reasons. First of all, if you put in young plants, they tend to do a lot of growing for the first couple of years and then settle down to flowering. Mm-hmm. If you prune them too severely, so if you just prune them back very hard like a rose bush they'll skip flowering for one to two years and then come back into flowering again so the pruning of hydrangeas is very important when you're pruning them back leave it till the springtime till March or early April and only remove the shoots that flowered last year and you'll know those shoots because the old flowers will still be attached to them don't prune back any of the younger wood because that's where they they, they bloom that, that coming summer you can induce or help to induce hydrangeas into flowering by using high potash feed. So rose fertiliser in early spring in March and April followed by sulphur of potash itself will help to settle down the growth of hydrangeas and bring them back into bloom. So my advice is look, leave it alone at this time of year. It's it's dormant, it's, it's coming into the winter period, it's going to start to lose its foliage and become dormant. So you don't feed them, you leave them alone. Come the spring you need to prune back. In this instance don't do no pruning because obviously it hasn't flowered but for listeners that have hydrangeas that flowered well this year, mm. prune the shoots back in late March, early April and only remove the shoots that actually bore flowers, leave the other shoots to develop. Give them a good feed of a rose feed, a high potash feed in April and again in in mid-May. And a little bit of sulphur polish during the summer is very important as well. And that'll bring your hydrangeas back into flowering again. So it don't give up on them. Um, you know, it, 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 the, the, the lack of flowering has either been too heavy pruning or the plant's just been too young to come back into bloom. So you know, give them an opportunity and they will. But high potash feeds help to, to bring hydrangeas into bloom. But really at this time of year, you leave them alone. 
Right, so let, the, let them come, rest over the winter. Let them rest over yeah. the winter period. Okay, and feed them well then. Come, come the spring, spring with a high potash feed, yeah. What's the best way to prune autumn fruit? Because uh, you did just touch on this, actually, that this is the ideal time yeah. for this. Um, somebody has raspberries and they're wondering, does the cane need replacing every couple of years? Um, well, it, it depends the, when they... Well, first of all, in terms of pruning, there are two types of, of raspberries. You've got summer fruiting raspberries, which by definition flower mm-hmm. and fruit. In the middle of the summer, you're picking the fruit in June and July. And like our friend the hydrangea, funnily enough, the you remove... When you take the fruit off the summer fruiting um, raspberries, you remove the canes that bore the fruit. So you'll have canes with fruit on them and you'll have lots of young canes growing from the ground level. Mm-hmm. So you only remove, during the middle of the summer, around July, early August, you prune out the canes that bore the fruit this year and allow the young ones to develop. There are also autumn fruiting raspberries, which the fruit have just been picked off them. So they fruit September, early October period. With those, and there are varieties like Autumn Bliss, um, any of those varieties, you prune them like a rose bush. So once you take the fruit off them, you prune them right down to ground level. Okay. So depending on the variety of raspberry you have, and you know by, the, by when it fruits, whether it's a summer or an autumn fruiting variety, you treat them slightly different in terms of pruning. The pruning kind of reinvigorates the plant. It encourages new, lots of new growth. And as long as the plants are healthy and growing really well during the summer, there's no need to replace them. So... You know, unless they're they're weak or there's there might be yellowing of the foliage, a bit, mm. a bit of virus in them. There's no real need to replace raspberries. Um, no more than maybe every five or seven years, yes. you could possibly replace them. But for other fruiting plants like blackcurrants, gooseberries, we are coming into the time of year to prune them. Mm-hmm. And again, blackcurrants, you prune out the old wood. You don't again mow them all back. You just simply take out the darker wood, the wood that's really dark, it's going to be kind of blackish in colour. And you take out about a third of the overall shoots on a blackcurrant plant each year. So every three years, you're rejuvenating the whole plant. So we're not just mowing them all back. Right. We're selectively we're taking out right. about a third of, of the oldest so shoots. So important to think about that if you have yeah. blackcurrants. Yeah, but in general, fr- fruiting plants, apples, pears, all of those are pruned at this time of year. The only fruits that you don't prune are the stone fruits like cherries, peaches, nectarines, plums. They are left until springtime. springtime. Yeah, okay. but all other fruiting plants can be tidied up for the winter period. Okay, one more. We'll take a quick little break. Um the white, old white lilies, the calla lilies, calla lilies yeah, yeah, the which are beautiful, lovely, I love yeah. them. Uh, a listener would like to move them. When is the best time? Well, it's actually a very good time now to, yeah. to be moving um, plants in general, particularly evergreen plants. Now, uh, calla lilies, first of all, they're the arum lilies with beautiful big f- flowers. They're herbaceous plants. They die down at the end of the winter. Um, and But any time from now on, you can you can dig them up and move them. And the, the great benefit of moving them is that it allows them, you to split them. And they split very well, like dividing up a rhubarb clump or a, any clump of a plant. You dig up the calla lily, take all the roots. They're a very fleshy root. Get yourself a, a sharp spade uh, and just split them in twos or threes into clumps that are about eight or nine inches in diameter, about the size of a, a reasonable size dinner plate sort of size. Okay. And then replant them back into the garden. And generally, I would advise put back in clumps of maybe two or three to form one large plant. So now is a good time. Dig them up, split them up, tidy back the foliage and replant them then um, somewhere else in the garden. They do like a a soil that is rich and holds moisture. So arum lilies will actually grow with their feet in water. Oh, right. They're one of those plants that likes plenty of moisture. And if they're on a very dry soil... You, they tend not to be as good. They're not as uh, the flowers are smaller, the foliage is smaller. So try and pick a, a part of the garden that has reasonably good soil or enrich it with some organic matter. Um, and apart from that, they do 
they do they're, very they're so well easy indeed. to grow yeah, they, yeah. Uh, and they're, so they're quite spectacular when they come out uh, okay we're going to take a quick break we still have lots more so stay with us Now, questions on hedging, Porrick. Um, two, actually. Well, I suppose they're both beach. One is copper beach. The other, I guess, is regular beach. Um, when is the best time to cut back a beach hedge? It's two years old and how far should you cut it back? Okay, well, it's a young hedge, so all you're going to be doing is tipping it back lightly. You could do it now. Um, no problem whatsoever. So just literally, what I would do is just even off the hedge, just tidy it back. So from some plants, you might be taking three or four inches of growth and others maybe six inches of growth. So just tidy up the top of the hedge and trim the sides lightly as well. So it's only two years old so a very, very light trimming. You're just tidying it up. The trimming back helps come the springtime for the new shoots to actually spread into one another. It'll actually get the, the hedge knitting in together. Uh, but really, beech is very so slow growing. You want to be taking off minimal amounts of growth. So just tidy it up really. Yeah. A couple of inches off the top and side of the hedge. You eventually want to end up with the beech hedge wedge shape. So wider at the base slimmer on top so the hedge might eventually end up say three feet wide at the base two feet wide on top slightly sloping what is there a reason for that the reason for that is if you cut if you continually cut hedges straight down with straight sides they tend to belly out on top because the growth because it's you've got straight sides the sap in the springtime shoots right to the top of the hedge and it tends to start filling out on top so you get this inverted uh hedge Hedge. with a with a with a fat head and and, and and a slim bottom Right. Whereas if you do it in the opposite way, if you actually have it sloping cut, yeah. the sap doesn't rise to the top as quickly. You tend to get the sap going out to the sides. You get a, a far more uh, better finished hedge holding its foliage right to ground level. Right. So slightly wedge shaped. Now it doesn't have to be too pronounced, yes, you know, know, three foot to two foot or three foot at the base, maybe two foot, six inches on, on top. So always cut them slightly upwards and inwards when you're pruning a hedge. I suppose if you think about it, uh, a lot of hedges do actually look like that. They do, they tend to bend out on top, particularly the Landai, Privet, uh, Beach, can, can, that can happen over time as well. Um, and once that happens, then it's very hard to reverse that because because it's kind of established itself so starting you know as young as possible and this is only a two year old hedge slightly trim it but keep that in mind that you're trying to keep the base of the hedge slightly wider than the top of the hedge Okay. Um, and the other beach question. The other was beach then it relates to a copper beach, and uh, the listener bought bare root uh, beach hedge in two thousand and eleven. Okay. Now they've never come to anything. They were right. two foot in height. They don't have much shelter. They're very near the sea. All the right. leaves come out and fall off. The top okay. of the trees look as if they're dead. Now they got sea mungus, but it hasn't done any good. Um, they have, however, they do have another hedge with the little red flower on it, and it's doing very well. What do you think? What the little hedge with the flower is? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Forig, I don't know. It could be maybe. Would it be a fuchsia or? Good. Yeah. Um, maybe or my old friend the Escalonia, Escalonia yeah. which is yeah. no longer in my garden. Right there you yeah. go, and then not in a lot of gardens. But yeah, look at it. it's a seaside location. Beach by its nature is a very slow growing hedge, a slow growing tree. Um, it will grow in seaside areas, but extremely slowly. And if if the purpose of what you're trying to achieve is to get shelter and privacy and a bit of um, screening, it's not the choice I would make for for seaside gardens un- until uh, until you've got the garden to a stage where there's already shelter provided. So the plants that I would always put in in seaside gardens as hedging plants, the first one is Iliagnus abengii, which is a silver-leafed evergreen hedge, extremely hardy, takes the salt air and the wind very, very well um, and will retain its foliage all year round. So that's a really good one for coastal gardens, exposed gardens. Um, some of the New Zealand flax are very good as well, the formiums. You could try... 
I mean, if the Escalonia is obviously Escalonia or Fuchsia, as you say, that the, the listener has, and that will make a great hedge over a number of years. Um, it has been damaged by the frost in the very cold winters. Um, Iliagnus hasn't. That's very frost hardy. Um, so if you want to kind of try it in tested uh, hedge for seaside areas, I would go with Iliagnus avengii. It's a very tough one. Um, so the beach is always going to suffer in those sort of conditions because you've got, just got the wind, you've got the, the salt air. It's a deciduous plant anyway and it's slow growing by its nature. So it's not the perfect choice for a seaside location. Um, it will struggle, it will grow over time, but it's going to take it years to do anything and, mm. and really won't achieve what the listener wants. So look at, I would switch to um, a coastal hedging plant and the one for me would is Iliagnus abengii. And just out of curiosity that Iliagnus because I know we have touched on it a number of times on the programme um, good for coastal areas if somebody wanted to plant it uh, that they were more inland how does it oh, no, fare it, out? Oh perfect. Yeah, oh, no, okay. it, it so works. it's multi, multi it's location. A, it's a multi-functional plant yeah. Okay. Um, I suppose you know once you're inland you've got just a broader choice mm. of plants to choose from but it's great because it's got a very waxy leathery leaf so the salt doesn't stick to it it is evergreen it'll put on about a foot maybe 15 inches per year so within four or five years you've got yourself a nice six foot seven foot hedge and that takes the initial battering it'll take the salt air it'll take the wind it'll provide shelter uh, to the garden so if the listener even could plant that Iliagnus on the on the wind side of the beach hedge yes. and provide some protection to the beach you'd be surprised how well the beach will come on okay. and putting on fertilizers like sea mungus i mean it is a tremendous fertilizer a really good fertilizer to use but it's not going to do anything because the conditions aren't going to allow the fertilizer to to do what it would normally do inland perfect so it, the beach will always struggle in those in those um, until you provide some shelter for it um so it's not that beach doesn't grow at the seaside. You'll see some beautiful beach trees, and, but but it's just where the location it is. Yeah, exactly. and, and you know it, it, it's yeah it's it's not the, the suitable plant the in this instance. Yeah. Now beach is a, f- a super hedge. I mean, I highly recommend it. You'll see it particularly in the Midlands and Mullingar. Yes, it yeah. takes the frost. Uh, it makes a lovely hedge because it's slow growing, so it doesn't require a lot of trimming once it, when it establishes itself. And it comes in that lovely purple shade, the colour of dillisk, which is lovely as a colour in the garden. So it's a highly recommendable hedge, but not in a seaside location. Okay. Now, how do you transplant wild heather and when is the best time? Well, the way to do it is to take cuttings. You can, heather, prop- the easy way to propagate heather is to take cuttings at this time of year. So you're looking for short little uh, stems, maybe four or five inches long. Again, exactly like I did with the laurel. You strip off all the leaves, leave a couple of leaves right at the very top, a little bit of rooting powder, put them into uh, pots of compost and sand and they'll cover them with a polythene bag and they'll root in about a four or six week period um, windowsill maybe indoors in a tunnel in a greenhouse somewhere like that the cuttings of heather is very very simple the other way you can do it is to layer them which means pushing the stem down onto the soil or even with wild heather if you lift up the stems of it you'll often find pieces that have already rooted where the brand, the weight of the branches on the, the soil uh, just you know, pin the, the stem to the soil, and the roots start to grow naturally themselves. Right. So if you if you find pieces like that, you can simply cut them off the mother plant, put them into pots, and grow them on as well. But cuttings is the easiest way at this time of year. October is a great time to take cuttings of heather. Now a listener has a newly laid lawn. There are leaves coming through with a little white flower, on, a little yellow flower on them. Beg your pardon. Um, and they're wondering, should they pull up the, the, those weeds or treat them? Well, it depends how bad. Like naturally, with any lawn you you you, you uh, sow, and no matter what time of year you sow it, you're always going to get a certain level of weeds germinating as well. That's only human nature. That's only that's only nature uh, working at its best. So you, they probably have a little bit of creeping buttercup, which is a weed of lawns. Um, 
two things you can do. If it's a small area, mm. you could spot treat the... By putting a weed killer lawn, weed killer onto a young lawn, you run the danger of damaging the grass. So lawn weed killer shouldn't be used on, on lawns that are younger than 12 months because you get the scorching of the grass. So I wouldn't go spraying the entire area, but you could spot treat right. the areas and you could use the dandelion and daisy from Hygieia, which is very good. Or you could use the Roundup gel, you know, the little gel yes. that could be used just as a kind of a spot treat if it was a small area. If it's a large area, then leave it till the springtime. Allow the grass just to strengthen and establish itself over the winter and spring period. And then you can apply something like the dandelion and daisy weed killer in April or May of next year. And that will control creeping buttercup. Great. Now, this isn't a question, but this is a little compliment for right. uh, some Good. of your staff, Porrig. Oh, great. Uh, we've been asked to tell you that you have wonderful staff. A uh, listener was at the garden centre in Castlebar, lost their keys, which is a very traumatic thing to happen. The staff were really helpful. They'd never have found them without their help, and thanks very much. That's great. I have fantastic staff in turn, in all my stores, but yeah, the team in Turlock are particularly. Yeah particularly good so anyway that was appreciated that's lovely uh, to hear uh, yeah and thank it, you very it's always much. nice to hear uh, thank yous because I suppose quite often we do hear uh, complaints when things aren't right sometimes so it's, it's nice to hear when things do go right <laughs> yeah, as well that's uh, great not I'd say for it that you get that many complaints mm. is it too late to sow cabbage seed in a polytunnel no no it, you can still sow um, we use the, the spring varieties a very good one is one called Hispe H-I-S-P-I, you can still sow the seed of that. What I would be inclined to do is maybe sow them in trays and keep them indoors in, in the house somewhere, a little bit of, of uh, cling film over the, comp, the the tray, get them germinated, get them strong. So if you sow the seed today, within two weeks or three weeks, you'd have strong seedlings that you can then plant out into the tunnel. Alternatively, you can sow them in the tunnel. It'll probably take them a week or 10 days longer to ger- germinate. So by sowing them in, inside, you'll just get that extra head start but certainly um, hispe would be a very good variety of, of uh, seed to sow you could also sow things like many of the lettuce varieties can still be sown at this time of year um, white Lisbon onions can be sown from seed there are sets of um, onions uh, the red and, and common onion that you can sow from bulbs at this time of year as well so you can use the tunnel for a lot of those plants strawberries would be a great thing to put into the tunnel at this time of year as well strawberry plants so use the tunnel for germinating some seed planting some of the onion and, and um, uh, onion bulbs and also uh, for things like strawberries would be ideal Great. Now, a couple of quick ones. A couple of quick ones before we we finish up. Um, can a listener plant the winter bedding plants directly into the ground, or do they have to go into pots first? No, no, first? straight into the ground. There's no problem. Just just take out all the old bedding, fork over the soil, put in a little bit of the sea mungus fertilizer uh, to the soil, and then put the 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 uh, winter bedding. Things like winter pansies, primulas, uh, winter violas. They're all frost hardy. Put in some spring bulbs with them as well. Some dwarf tulips, maybe dwarf narcissi, just to give a nice complement of colours. How do uh, you stop the birds eating the holly berries? What do you think? You I, answer this one. I answered this <laughs> all fair. Before we couldn't remember I couldn't the name. remember the answer. <laughs> it's grazers. Yeah, it, it is, it's grazers. And holly, holly is absolutely covered in berries at the moment. I was admiring it myself um, just last week. Loads and loads of berries. And, and I suppose it has been a very good autumn for berries in general, the mountain ash. Lots of, of burying trees are absolutely covered. But holly is covered with berries. And holly, don't go cutting holly. You know, an old thing was to cut the stems and stick them down the ground. Holly will wither once it's cut. So don't go take them off the plants. But if you use the treatment, grazers, which is we normally use it to keep pigeons off cabbage. Um, It's basically calcium and you, you mix it up in water, you spray it onto the berries and birds dislike the taste of that. 
Okay. Now, today is supposed to be a wildlife day in, in Hawkins. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> we're, we're encouraging them into the yes, garden, exactly. not getting rid of them. Exactly. So um, the grazers, they just don't like the taste right. of the calcium. So if you try that in a couple of the berry, on a couple of the holly plants, and see how it, and see how it works. Yeah. Okay. I have a little garden. I've sowed some carrots. Should I pull them now and should I store them in sand? Well, the carrots, the, the, yes. I mean, coming to the end of October, early November, it's a good time to start taking carrots out of the ground. And they store very well in damp sand. Um, you can... You you know, either trench them outside with damp sand or damp soil or put them into a, a garage, a dark, cool garage again and put them in layers of damp sand and that'll hold them for the winter period. Excellent. And last one, I think. My daffodils have been planted three years. They have never flowered. Oh, Lots of green leaves though. What's wrong? Well, don't give up on them. I mean, the, the, when you buy a daffodil bulb from the, from the garden centres, the actual flower embryo is already established in, in the bulb. So in theory, all the bulbs need is moisture and heat to grow. Um, the trouble with daffodils is that as they grow, the bulb kind of shrinks in on itself. And if you don't allow it to die back properly, the bulb doesn't build itself up for the following year. So it's very common, say, where, where daffodils are planted maybe in a lawn area and they're cut back too early. The bulbs don't you're not allowing the bulb to swell up and produce mm. that flower embryo for the following year. Um, so the, the the trick really is to feed daffodils after flowering. So at the end of March, early April, you should be feeding the bulbs, the, the, the green foliage, to build them up for the following year. And once you do that, they sh- they'll settle down to flowering and come into flower the following spring. Okay. Okay. So nothing to do with this, this year You're really right. at this time of year. But next spring... You, you should get some flowers, right. but if, if they're still not flowering, put on a liquid feed around the end of March, the early April, build the bulb up for the following year. Yeah. We always say not to trim daffodils back lovely. for at least six weeks right. after flowering. You allow that six-week period for the bulb to swell up for next year and, and produce the flower embryo. Okay. I have because I had I had some green leafed daffodils. Yeah. And uh, actually, I didn't cut them back this year, so I'm dying to see what happens. See, there. see what happens yeah, this yeah. year. Or sometimes when the clumps become too heavy, yeah. too you know restricted, the bulbs just can't swell up properly, and they need to be divided. But this is obviously only a three-year-old, so um, I think feeding next spring will will help we'll to bring them back into flowering again. Okay, that's it. The beekeepers are in over the, the weekend. The guys from Westport they're in today from eleven o'clock through till five, and again on on Sunday. And somebody f- wants to know: Is it just the weekend? The honey is for or can you buy it beyond that? Well, the, the trouble with the Westport honey is that it, 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 it there's, there's not enough of it. Yeah. Exactly. There's not enough of it. So if you're interested in getting in at the weekend and, and the guys have, and it'll be limited as well, what they have, I'm, I'm okay. expecting to be all gone probably okay. this morning. Okay, so get in so if you want in. some. Yeah. All right, Park, thanks very much indeed. Final programme of the season will be coming your way next Saturday. Until then, have yourselves a really good bank holiday weekend.